0: You are now listening to the September 30th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have the Screw Tape Letters Sermon and Equipping the Saints. First, let's begin with the Screw Tape Letters.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Terry, the host of The Screwtape Letters. We have been sharing stories regarding our spiritual warfare with the devil, drawing from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Today marks the final session. In the book, C.S. Lewis portrays the devil's relentless pursuit to prevent humans from receiving the gospel. When Jesus speaks to reveal the truth, the devil constantly interferes to prevent us from grasping the truth. Our enemy prowls like a roaring lion looking for opportunities to attack us. Therefore, it is imperative for us to be aware of these attacks and remain vigilant and alert. In reality, many people have misconceptions about Satans and devils. Some do not believe in the existence of Satans or devils, considering them merely as mythical figures. Others perceive Satan as a powerful entity engaged in a fierce battle against God, as portrayed in movies and comics with good and evil in constant conflict. However, such notions are incorrect. Just as God exists, Satan and devils undoubtedly exist. However, Satan lacks the power to oppose God. He is subject to God's control. There is no creative being that can successfully oppose God. Let's reflect a bit more on these evil spirits. Satan is a spiritual being, and as a creation of God, he once served God as an angel. But due to his pride, he fell from grace and became Satan he was subsequently cast down from heaven. If we were to depict two adversaries facing off each other, they would be Satan and the demonic forces opposed facing off against the archangels and their forces. Painting the picture of Satan in opposition to God as if they were adversaries would not be correct. In other words, Satan is a spiritual being just like the angels in heaven who were meant to serve God. However, he became corrupted and was cast out of heaven. Since Satan cannot oppose God, he aims to harass the believers whom God loves. To do that, he uses his demonic forces and devises devious tactics. Satan constantly torments us, knowing that God is saddened and upset when believers stumble or fail under their schemes. We have been examining Satan's tactics over the past 13 weeks. Would you remember some of them? Of course, Satan adapts his tactics depending on individual believers, and as such, his tactics are countless. In our program, we considered how Satan tries to prevent us from thinking too deeply. He does not want us to engage in contemplations, meditating, reading, and pondering fundamental questions such as, what is the truth? It is because such contemplations would lead us closer to the truth and closer to God. Thus, one of Satan's tactics is to keep us busy preventing us from thinking and distracting us constantly. Satan likes to create in us a sense of disappointment. For instance, there are disappointments arising from relationships between people, especially from those within the church. Satan's aim is to make people discontinue their faith journeys. Creating discord within families is also part of his tactics. What about prayers? We noted that Satan does not particularly oppose prayers. Instead, the devils prompt us to pray in the wrong way. These devils make us pray for ourselves only, focused on fulfilling our own desires rather than looking to Jesus. They lead us to pray entirely for ourselves. The more dangerous part is that they make us dwell in a sense of satisfaction and contentment, thinking that we are prayerful and therefore spiritual. On the one hand, we offer prayers with wrong motives. On the other, we mistakenly perceive ourselves as faithful believers. The scheme of the devil continues. They create a sense of fear and uncertainty about some vague future, making us live anxiously. They prompt us to become fixated on what might have been from the past and what could be in the future, rather than having trust in God here and now in the present. This is also part of their tactics. There are many other tactics of the devil. Although the methods may vary, the essence remains the same, preventing us from reflecting within our souls, prompting us to focus on our own desires, and instilling a false perception in us that we need to achieve those desires by ourselves. The devil tries to shake the minds and thoughts of individual believers, and he uses the affected individuals to undermine the community of God. When one person's mind and thoughts are not alert and become dull, such a state may spread throughout the community like an epidemic. As a result, the community of God, such as a local church, may become undermined. We need to be aware of their tactics, and if we ever observe one and find ourselves under attack, we should remind ourselves to maintain our composure, stand firm, and protect the community. We can call this a spiritual warfare. In fact, the term spiritual warfare may sound unfamiliar to some of us. It may sound unscientific and may not seem to fit well with modern society. However, we must acknowledge that it is something that is here and is ongoing. We need to be constantly aware of the unseen spiritual realm and remain spiritually vigilant. May we remain awake and become victorious in our spiritual battles. May we always think first about God and the truth. In closing, let us read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, which speaks about the spiritual warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This concludes our discussion on the screw tape letters. Thank you very much and God bless.
2: Peace
0: up next is a sermon by pastor bill milter of arizona community church today's topic is freedom from the power of sin i hope you have a blessed time with pastor bill
3: today we turn our attention to being freed from the power of sin and what we mean by that being set free from the power of sin is that we now have the power to put to death the sin that we once so readily lived for So church, it's my honor to present to you the word of God today. Colossians chapter three, verses five through eight. Hear the word of God today. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, from your mouth. Amen. Church, hear the Word of God this morning. So let's just be perfectly honest about this text. Putting to death the things that are listed in this passage seems far easier said than done. As a matter of fact, some of the things in this passage appear to be downright impossible to put to death. Do I hear an amen? Am I not the only one? I mean, the last line describes me driving. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Every time I get behind the wheel, I struggle with those things. I'm not kidding either. It's sad. I have no doubt that every one of us here today can find at least one or two things in this list that are areas of struggle for us or have been areas of struggle or that just seem impossible to overcome. You're like, yeah, I see it and I I have trouble with that. For some of us, it might be issues related to being pure. For others, it might be issues related to jealousy. Isn't it interesting? Look at the first line here. It says sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires. And then it says covetousness, coveting desiring what someone else has it seems to be out of place i mean it's all these like sexual sins and then it's like coveting but it's a powerful reminder that coveting not being content and wanting what others have is is a very serious thing that people struggle with it's a sin that we all struggle with for others it might be anger that last line um it is easy to struggle with anger and, and i was joking about the car tongue-in-cheek kind of but i'll tell you when i turn on the tv and i see what the wor- what's going on in the world and what the leaders of the world are doing My heart isn't, I've said this before, it isn't filled with grace and compassion, it's filled with anger. And I can't always tell you if it's a righteous anger or if it's just me being downright sinfully angry at these people, but I'm sure I cross the line more than I like. Let me give you a powerful example from the life of a man who struggled with the very first thing on that list, sexual immorality. It's a man who, by the way, is considered to be the greatest theologian in the history of the early church. His name was Augustine. Augustine lived, uh, he was born in November of 354, and he died of August of 430. And from, here's what he said, from adolescence to the age of 32, as he later detailed in his confessions, Augustine frequently lost his battle with lustful desires. He wrote this, he said, the frenzy gripped me and I surrendered myself entirely to lust. And this was at the age of 16. This is when he just said, I can't fight it anymore. I'm just going to give in. And he gave in. And he was fully enslaved. Now, to add to the difficulty of Augustine's life is he had a father that was very sexually immoral too, very promiscuous himself. Augustine's father was actually amused at his son's uh, promiscuity. And the reason was the prospect of having grandchildren either legitimately or illegitimately appealed to Augustine's father. So he didn't care that his son was being deviant. He just wanted grandchildren. Let me ask you a question. How does someone who is given over to the lust of his flesh from age 16 to 32 overcome that to become perhaps the greatest theologian in the history of the early church? How in the world does that happen? I wanna know. Now the answer, of course, is that Augustine learned that Christ's death and resurrection secured not only freedom from the penalty of sin, but also freedom from the power of sin. You know what's interesting? When we share the gospel with people, we often just focused on the one. We go, Jesus can forgive you of your sin. And that's great news. That is really good news. But to the person who's struggling with sin, the idea of being forgiven is only half the good news. Not only will he forgive you, but he'll deliver you, amen? And that's the part of the gospel that we often forget to share to give people hope that, are in, that hey, you not only can be forgiven, it doesn't matter how many, what you've done or how many times you've done it, God will forgive you. But here's also the great news. He can deliver you and he will. His power is just that amazing. The Apostle Paul spoke of that power in his life when he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me." Folks, there is no sin that has captured you from which Christ cannot deliver you. Let me just say that again. There is no sin that has captured you from which Christ cannot deliver you. And let me tell you why that's good news, not just for you, but for all of us. We are living in a day and age where we are watching culture, like locomotive with no brakes, run headlong into greater and greater levels of depravity. And that can break our hearts, and it should. We'll, we'll look at that and we go, "What? there's no hope. We're, we're in huge trouble. Folks, there's hope there is hope. And more on that in a little bit. But it means that if you have a loved one, a brother or sister, a niece, a nephew, anybody that's going down that path and you're like, oh my gosh, is there any hope for him? There is hope. Believe it. There is nothing that has captured the heart of man from which Christ cannot deliver them. The true believer simply has something the world doesn't have. It has the power of Christ within us. See, Christ isn't just for us. Oh, he's for us. But he's also living within us. And when you have that type of power in you, folks, nothing is impossible. Listen to what Peter said about that power that is in us. His divine power has granted to us all things, not just some things, all things that persists to life and what? Godliness. Godliness. If you're sitting here going, I've got areas of my life that I can never overcome. There's no way that I could ever be as godly as the Apostle Paul or Augustine or any of those people that we read about in the Bible or in church history. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And it's not you, it's Christ in you that can do that, and you have to believe it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, now listen to this, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. If you're looking at the world going, listen, I've been in the world, I'm still stuck in the world, and I don't ever think I can get out of the world. Yes, you can. The gospel isn't just that he forgives you of the penalty of your sin, which he does, free and clear. You are forgiven. Don't live with a guilty conscience. You have been set free. But don't live in defeat, because God has given you his spirit within you to deliver you and me from the things that so easily entangle us. People often want to see God's power manifested. They do. That's why we if we hear the report of a miracle or something going on, we're like, we want to see what it is. Folks, you want to know God's power? The number one way you will see God's power manifested on a daily basis is Him delivering you out of sin and into glory. Look in the mirror if you want to see God's power at work. You will see somebody that was once over here and is being brought over here. That's the testimony of Christians. For some people, the crazy thing, it's overnight. I've seen people delivered overnight from Um, As a matter of fact, after Saturday night, I got to tell this and I have permission to tell this. Saturday night service ended, I was locking up the campus, I was going out that gate and there was somebody there, I'm not going to tell you man, woman, I'm not going to tell you anything, but they were just shaking their head. And I go, what's going on? They they were just like, man, God's Word is powerful and I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they just said, if you knew what I had been delivered from, the, the life that He has delivered, they were just marveling at God's deliverance of what they had come out of and they began to tell me what they had been delivered of and I'm looking at this person going there's no way you were involved in that sort of stuff (laughs) have you ever looked at someone and they began to tell you their story and you're like no don't don't go there you're lying no and I was thinking the same thing and this person kept rattling it off and I'm like wow that is powerful that God did that just amazing look in the mirror if you wanna see God's power at work you wanna know what this means folks here's what it simply means believers have access to power that can accomplish the impossible, not just in world events, but in your life, setting you free from things that once enslaved you and entangled you. I'm a testimony to that, too. The man I once was in high school as a a young man to the man I am today, I would have never thought that I would be standing and preaching in front of people, never thought that would be impossible, and I mean that. What is impossible to you is not impossible to God, and I can prove to you just how awesome God is. Listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians. It says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen to this list of things that people are involved in. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, greedy, or drunkards, revilers, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is Paul saying the early church was filled with everybody, with that list of sins right there, things that people... The early church was filled with people that struggled with those things. How in the world did the early church get filled with people delivered from those things? Answer is simply this, the power of God. The power of God delivering them from the power of sin. That's what God can do. Folks, the church, ever since the first century, has been a testimony to God's power in the lives of sinful people. From Paul to Augustine and straight down. As a matter of fact, Paul includes himself in this Listen to what he writes to Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, we were just ruled by our emotions. But listen to how beautiful this is. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, now listen to this, by the washing of regeneration. Regeneration simply means you're brought from spiritual death to spiritual life and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly. He didn't just pour out the Spirit, His power, a little bit. He poured it out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the God we serve. Let me give you a modern-day example of somebody who was delivered from the power of sin in an incredible way. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Do you know this name? She was a very prestigious professor at Syracuse University in their English and Literature Department. Um, she was also a lesbian feminist activist professor. Those are her words. <laughs> During much of her research, she ended up researching stuff within the Christian faith because we have a lot of literature. The Bible is the greatest piece of literature in the history of the world. Um, she began to do research what brought her in touch with the Christian faith and through that she ended up meeting a Christian pastor and her, his wife. And she began to become friends with them. They invited her over and they began to share meals together. And she would even then start to sneak over to the church and sit in the very back pew of this little Presbyterian church. And she, wouldn't, she didn't want anybody to know share, she was there, but she would listen to the sermons. She said this, I came to the Bible. She's a, she's a literature expert and she knew what the Bible stood for, but she didn't believe any of it. She said, I came to the Bible with a long list of things that I was mad about and I needed to work through. And in time, God did what many thought was impossible. He took, according to her own words, a lesbian feminist activist professor began transforming her into an obedient, faithful, committed child of God. She said this, I was a mess and I committed my life to Christ because I believed he was true and real. And I had no idea what he was going to do with a mess like me. You want to know what he did with a mess like her? He transformed her from the inside out. She's now married with a family of her own. She's a prolific Christian writer, and she is a speaker around the world to the testimony of God's power in one person's life. Here's the amazing news. I, along with a lot of other Christians, are beginning to see, and maybe you already, you're already seeing this, we are seeing examples of people being delivered. Tina, who's our women's ministry director, she sent me a, a text this week from a young man whose name was Skylar, who, and this is according to his own words, he was bisexual, cross-dressing, and into witchcraft. And his eyes were open. He came to know the Lord, and he has, he's a testimony to God delivering him. And the reason I tell you that, guys, is because we might look at culture and go, gosh, it's, he- it's running headlong into disaster. Is there any hope? Folks, there is. And I truly believe this. The Satan is working. He is taking our culture in a really horrible place. But you know what that means? It means that God is going to show up strong. Amen. Do you believe it? Not just for our culture, but for our nieces and nephews and those that we love, our friends that are slipping away from us and we're thinking they're gone forever. Not necessarily. Not necessarily because God's power can not only forgive anyone, but deliver anyone. We, as the church, have to believe that. Our hearts may mourn with the current state of our culture, but be ready because I have no doubt we're gonna be hearing more of these stories. And that is exactly why, guys, when we share the gospel, We don't just want to share that you're delivered from the penalty of sin. That's great news. But we also want to include in that he will deliver you from the power of your sin. He will deliver you and take you to places you never thought you could go. And you're going to talk to people who are going to go. I want to trust in Christ, but I'm too far gone. No, you're not. Speak hope into their life and speak this. The power of God can deliver you from anything and everything. You see, the Bible makes it clear where the Spirit of the Lord is. This is fascinating. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's one of the hallmarks that you'll know the Spirit is at work. And I, uh, side note, and I say this all the time, you will always know a, a good sign that you're in a healthy church or in a healthy ministry is you will see freedom. And what I mean by that is pastors and elder boards and leadership of churches that are are truly being led by the Spirit, will lead their people into a place of freedom. If you've ever been in a church where there's manipulation and guilt being put on people, and you're like, oh man, what is this place? I'm not, I don't feel freedom, I feel just the opposite. That might be because you're in a place where the leadership isn't being led by the Spirit. But where the Spirit is truly at work in the leadership and the people, you will experience freedom. Freedom of all different types. Freedom, you'll experience freedom. One of the freedoms though that you will most definitely experience You'll see it's freedom from the power of sin, people being delivered. By the way, do you know what the very next verse says here? It says this, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being what? Transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is an incredible verse. When the veil of unbelief is removed from a person's eyes, they don't just realize, hey, God forgives me. They also see, hey, God's gonna transform me. Listen, when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, the glory of your outer self might be fading. You might look at yourself and go, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. By the way, what's the number one peak year of your existence? What age? Any guesses? 27. 27, according to research, is the best year you will ever have. You'll be at your absolute peak at 27, which means it's downhill after that. And let me tell you, it's true. <laughs> Maybe you're not there yet, and if you're not there yet, God bless you. Listen, I talked to a guy, Steve Hines. He goes to the church. He was in the first service, and I caught him out in the plaza. I said, hey, Steve, when did your glory start to fade? And he goes, when I was five years old. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, that's when I was tall enough to look in the mirror. And I looked in the mirror, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm fading already. I think for many men, the glory, we, for men, I don't know when it happens for women, but for men, the hair starts to fall, this starts to bulge, and suddenly we look and we go, oh my gosh, my glory is fading. But here's the point, the glory of your outer person might be fading away, and I got news for you, every day you look in the mirror, no matter how hard you try, it's going to be fading until the day that God calls you home or he gets back. But here's the good news. The glory of your inner man is being, or woman, is being transformed daily. You are going from one degree of glory to another. Amen? Amen. That's why I said, if you want to see God's power at work, here's him at work. He is transforming you from one degree of glory to the next, daily. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean as believers we just sit around and expect God to, you know, hey, God, work on me, change me? Yes, it is his power within us but we still have a part to play in it. We don't just sit around on our hands. The Bible is loaded with verses that exhort us to forsake sin and pursue godliness. Listen to what Job says. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents. You know what this verse is saying? If you've got sin in your hands, drop it. And if it's still in your house, kick it out. Boom, get it out of your life. Ephesians says this, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put to death therefore whatever is earthly in you, whatever is earthly or carnal in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, and it lists all these things, then right up to verse eight, but now you must put them all away, not just some of those things, put them all away. Because when you put them away, you know what you're gonna experience? Freedom. You're going to experience freedom. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute. Is it my obedience or Christ's power in me that allows me to break free from the sin that so easily entangles me? The answer is simply this. It's Christ in you, which means it's Christ and you. It's Christ in you, which means it's Christ and you. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, where is the line between Christ's power and my obedience? The answer is I haven't a clue. I really don't. And the reason I don't have a clue is I don't understand it in my own life, but I was listening to Dr. John MacArthur and somebody asked him a question about his spiritual life. This very question, where does your obedience end? the power of God start? Like, where is that? And he he looked at the audience, he said, I haven't a clue. He goes, I don't know. He goes, I know when I sin, that's not Christ in me, that's me, (laughs) right? But I also know the Bible says, that he wills and works in me to act according to his good purpose. And yet the Bible says that I need to put off the old self and put on the new. Where does that line, one line end and the other, you know, where does that, where is that line? He has no clue. And when I heard him say that, I said, our spiritual lives are a mystery. God's power is in us and yet we are exhorted to obey and to put off the old self and to do these things. And if it's a bit of a mystery to you, that's okay. But know this, there is a power working in you that can deliver you. But you also need to know this, and this is really, really important. You can't flirt with sin and expect to be delivered from its power. Period End a sentence. You can't flirt with sin and expect to be delivered from its power. How do I know that? Well, I've experienced it firsthand. I've been a Christian for 36 years and I've done that and it doesn't work. And I've talked to so many Christians as a pastor who struggle. They go, I don't know why I'm struggling. I don't know why that I can't be delivered from this. At least part of the answer might have something to do with regularly flirting with that from which we should be running. Running, we have a part to play. God wants to deliver you. He's got the power to deliver you, but you need to yield yourself to him and not to the sin that is knocking at your door. Speaking of knocking at the door, Proverbs has a really great section about what it looks like to forsake sin. Let me read it to you. It says, My son, Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. And here's why, verse two, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Now for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. So let me just stop right here. This passage is describing a young man and an inexperienced man. He's being seduced by an adulterous woman. However, this could apply to anything. The lips of any sinful thing drip honey. Anything that's tempting you is going to be dripping honey and you're gonna go, wow, that looks great. So you can put anything in here, really. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. All sin, its speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, wow. Would you mess around with a two-edged sword? You wouldn't, you wouldn't put it to your lips. You think you're getting honey and what you're putting to your lips is a double-edged sword that's just gonna rip your mouth apart. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not even know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. What are the words of my mouth? Here they are. Keep your way far from her. Don't go anywhere near her. And listen to this. And do not go near the door of her house. Don't flirt with that which is going to tempt you. Don't go down the street in which that sin resides, whatever that sin is. Don't go walking up to its its door. Don't knock on the door to see if it's home. Guess what? It's home. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to open the door and say, come right in. That's what it's going to do. You don't ever need to go. I wonder if this sin is still here. Knock, knock, knock. It's still there. Got news for you. It's always home. So don't even go down the street where that sin resides. Don't go near the door. Don't knock on that door, whatever you do. And this is applied to anything that tempts us. We are to stay, we're not only not to flirt with it, we are to stay far away from it. Don't go near it. This is exactly why we see in the Bible passages like Job. If iniquity is on your hands, put it far away. Again, what did I say? If it's in your hands, drop it. If it still happens to be in your house, your tent, kick it out. Perhaps no passage speaks more powerfully to this issue than Romans 13. Listen to this passage. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up to wake from sleeping. For sal- I love this part, for salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. Folks, let me just stop right there. This world is flying by, you know, it is. Our salvation is so very near. Whether the Lord comes back or we get called home, y- you and I stand on the verge of standing before God, the God that created us. We're all, our salvation is at hand. I hope you understand that. I don't care if you have 60 years left to live, that's nothing. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, listen to this, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, that is holy, as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Again, look at what this passage says. It lists off all these really bad things. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality. And all of us are going, well, I I don't do that right? Or sensuality. But then it says quarreling or jealousy. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like those two don't belong in that list. But it goes, just goes to show you that when we're discontent, when we're coveting what other people have, when we have a quarrelsome spirit, a discontent spirit in us, it's, that's sin. And then it says this, but put on the Lord Jesus, and this is the key part, and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provisions, no provisions. Don't go down where her house is. Don't knock on the door, because I got nose for you. If you're knocking on the door to see if the sin is still there, it is there. It'll open the door and invite you in. You see, the pressing question for all of us today is simply this, am I making provisions for sins that the Spirit has given me power to overcome? You are not just delivered from the penalty of your sin, you're delivered from the power of your sin. It is Christ in you, living and working and acting so that you might be obedient children. But folks, if we are being called to be obedient and that power is with us and for us, but we're flirting with that which we should not be flirting, and we're wondering why we're not being delivered, well, the answer is obvious. Now, this requires a level of honesty to answer this question. The fact is, we're all great at justifying our behavior, aren't we? I can come up with a million and one reasons why this thing over here that I'm holding on to needs to stay in my life. God, you can have everything else, have it all, but I got a super good reason to have this, whatever this is. Folks, we make a little bit of room for something that should have absolutely no room in our lives. You want a really good example, a modern day example of somebody who did just the opposite of Rosaria Butterfield? It's this guy right here. Do you know this name, Ravi Zacharias? Yeah, your heart I know many of you your hearts are broken mine was too. Ravi Zacharias, he has recently died. He was a world-renowned Christian apologist and an, an apologist is somebody simply that defends the faith. And he had a he had a worldwide ministry. Um it honestly helped that he was he was an Indian of nature, so he, the rest of the world, you know, the whole white thing and white white people are evil, he didn't have to deal with that. So he had a voice around the world that people could receive him and accept him and He was brilliant, a brilliant man. But after he died, it came to light that he was uh, living a a double life. And uh, it wasn't just a one-time thing or a two-time thing. He was leading a double life the entirety of his ministry. Um, He was visiting massage parlors and other things. He was abusing women. Let me just put it that way. And uh, it was horrible. And this has led many people to question if he was even a Christian in the first place, which I think is a fair question to ask given the details of this case. But here's the point. He traveled the world. He wasn't under the leadership of a local church. He wasn't under pastors or elders, um, which you, everybody needs to be. That's why you need to be in a local church, because we're accountable to one another. Well, Ravi didn't have a home church. He had no accountability, apparently. And as he went around the world, he made room in his life for that which that should not be there. And the testimony to his uh, actions is just horrible. It's horrible. He left a wake of destruction. Um, where he went. And that is precisely why we see Jesus writing this or saying this. Listen to what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lust, with lustful intentions has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now listen to this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, I say this every time I teach this because there's always new people here. Jesus isn't teaching self-mutilation because a man can, or a woman can pluck out their eyes and still lust in their heart, right? Right? I can pluck out my eyes and still lust in my heart. I can cut off my hands and still covet and steal what my neighbor has in my heart. I can cut off my hands but still covet and and wish them dead and wish that I had what they had. So Jesus isn't teaching self-mutilation. What he is saying is do whatever it takes to remove the sin that is in your heart and in my heart. Do whatever it takes. If you struggle with anger, make no provisions for anger and cut it out of your life. If you struggle with gossip, make no provisions for it, cut it out. If you struggle with pride, same thing, make no provisions and cut it out of your life. Now you might be thinking, that might mean that I have to make some significant decisions in my life, some radical decisions. Yes, it's exactly what you're gonna have to do. That's exactly what Rosaria Butterfield did. She was a Syracuse university. She had it made and she walked away from that. That's what it costs. There's a cost in following the Lord. Count the cost, the Bible says. There is a cost in following the Lord and being obedient unto the Lord. And so, yes, you might have to make some difficult decisions in your life, but I'm gonna tell you right now, that is the whole point of this message. It is the power of Christ in you that makes such change possible. You're not making those changes by yourself. Christ is in you. And so step forward in faith and go, God, I believe that if I walk away from this, you're gonna give me the power to overcome. He will. Because the testimony of the gospel isn't that you're just delivered from the penalty of sin, you are. But the testimony of the gospel is that he will deliver you from the power of sin. Of this you can be certain, I'm gonna end with this thought, and take this to the bank. You will not regret going all in like this with the Lord and asking him to set you free from whatever it is that's holding on to you. And you know how I know that? Because I've experienced it in my own life. But more importantly, I have never, ever met a person walking in spiritual freedom who was living with sinful regrets. Did you hear that? I've never met a person walking in spiritual freedom, living with sinful regrets. I meet lots of people that have regrets. I have regrets about things I've done in my past. But I don't have regrets from the sin that God has delivered me from. It's not like I'm looking back on, man, it was so great to be enslaved to that when I had no control and I couldn't do it and I, had, I was struggling with guilt and shame. I wish I could have more of that. I've never met a person that has genuinely experienced spiritual freedom from past sins and then is living with regret about those things that they wish they could go back and have more of it. It just doesn't happen. So if you're here today, here's the message. If you don't know the Lord, he wants to forgive you. He will forgive you. The penalty will be forgiven, but here's the good news. He'll deliver you too. If he can do it with me, he can do it with you. Amen. Here, I finish with this question. Am I making provisions for sins that the Spirit has given me power to overcome? We pray with you.
4: 20 years of age, I'm still looking for a dream. Awards already wait for my destiny. But perfection is my enemy And on my own I'm so clumsy But on your shoulders I can see I'm free to be me When I was just a girl I thought I had it figured out See my life would turn out right And I'd make it here somehow But things don't always come that easy And sometimes I would die Cause I got a couple dents in my fender Got a couple rips in my jeans Try to fit the pieces together But perfection is mine Sometimes I believe that I can do anything, yet other times I think I've got nothing good to bring, but you look at my heart and you tell me that I've got all you see. couple rips in my jeans Try to fit the pieces together, but perfection is my enemy
2: You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-602. Eight six six eight nine nine nine, or heart and soul.org at gmail.com.
0: The following program is called Equipping the Saints.
5: Hello, heart and soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundsted, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. And then we have the eternal state, Revelation 21 and 22, no more tears, no more sorrow, where Christ makes all things new, new heavens, new earth, where righteousness dwells where Christ himself will dwell in the midst of his saints forever and ever. That's what we look forward to. So back to our passage, the order would be this gathering together. And then after that happens, then the day of the Lord. And the bad guys are saying, the day of the Lord has come. You missed this. You're going to go into that. You're going to go into this horrible thing. And actually, that's why you're suffering so much, because you're in it right now. And so back to our passage now. He says, we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with regard to the rapture. You think you missed it, but no, you didn't because actually the day of the Lord hasn't come. And I'll prove it to you, he's going to share. He says that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure, disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Shaken up, quickly shaken up. Don't let that happen. Don't be frightened or terrified, even the word could be translated. Don't let that happen. You're going under terrible persecution. You can look back in chapter 1, you see it. I'm not going to read it for you. You can see it there, verse 4 and 6. They're persecuted greatly. They were suffering. And Paul wants to protect them from the false view that many churches hold to today. Can you believe that? That the church is not going to be taken up and that we go right into the day of the Lord and in Christ comes. Not true. It would shake you up and frighten you. It says, don't let that happen to you so quickly. Don't let that happen. And notice he says how this message would come, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, this is the end of 2, to the effect, the day the Lord has come. It could come by a spirit. I believe he's speaking here of a prophetic utterance, like we see back in chapter 1, verse 15, but a false prophetic utterance. Those who would claim to be speaking from the Spirit of God, thus says the Lord, the day of the Lord has come, or whatever they might say, you know. Don't be deceived, don't listen to that, he's saying. Don't listen to that. Or a message, the word message means literally word. Now before I get to that, the spirit part, I forgot to share this, but in First John chapter 4, verse 1, John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether it's from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he'll go on to say, you can know who's of the Lord and of not by if they listen to the apostles or not. You can know that. Okay, so he says here, then a message. That's the word logos, just means word. Somebody came along and said, hey, Paul said, I heard him. He said, the day the Lord's already here. Someone just shared it by word. Or the most deceitful way here, By a letter as if from us. That's a counterfeit letter, counterfeit epistle that is from Paul. A very, very evil. He says, don't be disturbed if this comes. It says something to the effect, the day of the Lord has come. Don't let it disturb you. A counterfeit epistle. You see, Satan is a counterfeiter. He's not the pitchfork guy out there with all the demonic stuff. The foolish people in their outright wicked demonic stuff, he's already got them. But the reality is, he is a deceiver. He portrays himself to be an angel of light. That's how he functions. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the most dangerous way that he functions. 2 Corinthians 11. And he does it through people. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers are workers of deceit, literally, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's what they do. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not the pitchfork guy or the outright wicked demonic stuff. It's disguising. That's his most effective way to do it. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as As servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So you got either a spirit, probably a prophetic utterance, a message, a false one by the way, a false message, or a counterfeit letter. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't fall for it. And he's going to say in the context of the larger passage, hold to the truth we've already shared with you. Hold to that. That's what protects us from false teaching. Hold to the truth you've learned in Scripture. Hold to the truth. Notice verse 5, and we're going to touch on this because we're almost running out of time. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Hold to what I told you rather than being taken captive and disturbed by these false messages or a false letter. Look at verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm. Hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letter, what? From us, the apostles. We have the completed word, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets brought it forth. It's complete. Hold to this. Don't let anyone deceive you. Look at verse 3. He strengthens his request. Let no one in any way deceive you. Don't be so easily shaken up. Don't be frightened by a false message that contradicts the truth you already know about our gathering to him. Don't be shaken up by that. He says, let no one in any way deceive you. For it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Hey, two things have to happen and they haven't happened. So what they're telling you is false. That's what he's saying. Now, this term, let no one deceive you in any way, the word deceive doesn't just speak of being deceived or led astray, only being led astray. It actually means being completely seduced, wholly deceived, being fully bought into it. You see that with our form guidance. Wholly deceived, complete deception, seduced wholly. It's the same word that is used in 1 Timothy 2.14 about Eve, who was completely deceived in the garden. She's entirely wholly bought into it. It's the same word that it's what Satan was trying to do to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. He's trying to wholly deceive them. Let no one, and then notice this, in any way, there's different manners, different ways it happens. Let no one in any way, according to any manner, seduce you wholly. Don't let it happen. We're not to allow false teachers to seduce us completely with false or twisted words supposedly from the Lord. We need to allow the word of the Lord from his word to cause us to stand firm, to hold to it, to be equipped. And if you don't know the word of God, you're going to be tossed all over the place by false teaching. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, some people know the word of God, but in their pride they get tossed because they're not depending on Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith, that's the truth we believe in in the context of Christ, and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Be mature through the Word of God, being equipped. Pastors, teachers, okay? As a result... We are no longer to be like children tossed here and there by waves. See this all throughout church. Carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men by craftiness in deceitful scheming. If you're solid in the word, you're not going to be taken captive by that, right? But we are to speak in the truth and love, grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We see this in Colossians chapter 2. Don't be taken captive by worldly philosophies. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How would you receive him? By faith, right? Having been firmly rooted, now being built up and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive, kidnaps you through philosophy, Empty decession according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary ABC, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Colossians 2. There are bad guys out there. Don't let them take you captive. By human reasoning, human philosophy, whatever it might be, don't let it happen. Tradition of men, don't let it happen. Hold to the Word of God. Examine everything. We saw this back in 1 Thessalonians 5. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Hebrews chapter 5. Those who were dull of hearing had become dull because they hadn't had their senses trained to discern good and evil through the Word of God. Have your senses trained? Someone says something, you go, no, 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 this is what God's Word says. They have a very convincing argument for it, but you look at the Word of God and go, nope, this is what God's Word says. Hold forth. To the traditions we have and the words that Paul gave forth as he says, don't go there. Let no one deceive you in any manner, in any way. Don't go there. Now specifically, he's referring to the day of the Lord. And that's the issue that they were being deceived about or was trying to. And he's gonna, I'm just gonna read through this quickly and we will look at it more closely next time, okay? Let no one deceive you in any way, for it, that's the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself to be God. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Don't you remember, guys? He's saying and we'll look at this more closely next week, the day of the Lord can't be here because two things have to happen with another associated thing. One, the apostasy has to come first. We'll talk about that in a second. And the second thing is the man of lawlessness is to be revealed. And for that to happen, this third related thing, verses 6 to 7, the restrainer must be taken out of the way. And I believe that's the church being taken out of the way by the Spirit of God within them. Those are the things that have to happen. Don't let them deceive you. Remember, I was telling you this before he says. Now, as we finish up, the apostasy here speaks of a falling away or a defection. And it's not just apostasy. Apostasy. There are those who apostatize, those who turn away from Christ, those who turn away, they apostatize. Second Timothy chapter 3 clearly says, hey, this is going to happen. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Hey, that sounds like what we see on TV these days, right? He says lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. That's apostasy. They've turned, but they say they believe, but they've turned. But this is a wholesale apostasy. He's talking about the apostasy. A wholesale turning of the world completely in a sense. Completely. Every religious organization that's there at that time is going to turn away. A wholesale apostasy. The apostasy. The day of the Lord can't come until the whole world is turned. The apostasy has come. That prepares the ground for, for the Antichrist to deceive them and for them to go to their judgment. Jesus talked about this in relationship to the Jews and their apostasy, not ever the whole world, but the Jews. So remember that, Matthew 24. And at that time, many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will many. And because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. It's going to happen at that time. Yes, we see apostasy today, but it's going to be a wholesale turning away, preparing for the Antichrist to be revealed. That has to happen first. And these things, he's saying, it hasn't happened yet. So you're being lied to. You're being deceived. Don't buy into it. So what's the important part for us for today? Hold to the Word of God. Hold to the truth. Be equipped. Don't be tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. Boy, you listen to Christian Rayleigh's days. You know those family shows. They're terrible. They're everything that takes you captive. Hold to the Word of God instead. Run away from that stuff. Run away. Run away from theology that is not in line with the truth of God. Run away from it. Trust Jesus Christ. Rely on Him. Trust in Him wholeheartedly. Believe what He has said and He'll protect your heart they will protect you from the temptations and the dangers of these who would want to shake you up and terrify you. That's what Satan wants to do. We need to take heart. The reality is although there's false teaching in the church that the Lord doesn't want us to fall to it, we need to take heart. We need to listen to the message. Don't let it happen to you. Watch what you listen to. Watch what you pay attention to. Just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean it's from the Lord. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is true. Now, there are people who are caught up in bad doctrine. doesn't mean we go out and zap them with our hearts and thoughts. We pray that God would set them free and God might open a door for us to share the truth that they would be set free having been held captive to do Satan's will. We're not quarrelsome, but we're able to teach patient when wronged. So then, we've talked a lot about what was to happen for us and what wasn't going to happen for the Thessalonians. The reality that Christ is coming for us. We're going to be gathered together. Our future is wonderful in Christ. Yes, we're suffering. Yes, this world looks horrible right now, politically, whatever it might be. But trust the Lord and look forward to Him. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, And serve Him until He comes. And praise Him that you're not going to go through His wrath. But maybe there's some of you here that will go through his wrath, whether you die and stand before him and are judged for your sins or whether you actually go into this time. That would be very interesting if the Lord came and you're not saved because you would go into this tomorrow if that happened. Repent before it's too late. God is patient, not willing for any to perish, but the day of the Lord will come. But we believers will be delivered from that wrath.
6: death reckon mine living with jesus a new life divine looking to jesus till glory does shine moment by trial that he is not there, never a burden that he doth not bear, never a sorrow that he doth not share, moment by moment I'm under his care.